You are listening to the Actor Aesthetic Podcast, episode 78, featuring special guest and New York City casting director, Michael Cassera. Let's get started. What's up, everyone? This is Maggie Vera, and welcome to another episode of the Actor Aesthetic Podcast. If this is your first time joining us, then welcome. The Actor Aesthetic Podcast is produced every single week for your enjoyment, and show notes are found at actoraesthetic.com podcast. You can also follow me on Instagram at Actor Aesthetic, or join our Facebook group, The Actor Aesthetic Tribe. All links are in the show notes. Now let's get on to the show. Stuck at home in quarantine mode? Yeah, same here. But you can get ahead of the game right now by checking out my ebook, Marketing 101 for Actors An Actor's Guide to Successful Branding. I'm taking you step by step through the most important marketing strategies and branding techniques you need in order to succeed as an actor in 2020. I'm talking headshots, resumes, postcards, audition material, websites, and of course, social media. Go to actoraesthetic.com forward slash marketing to grab your copy today. Hi, friends. It's Maggie. I am so excited to share this episode with you today. Just to give you a little background, I interned with Michael Cassera at Michael Cassera Casting a few years ago, and that in itself was an incredible learning experience that I can go on and on about for days. But I have always looked up to and admired Michael as a leader in this industry, and so I hopped on a Zoom call with him a few days ago to talk about the COVID-19 crisis and specifically how that's affecting our industry as we know it. So without further ado, sit back, relax, and enjoy our chat. Alrighty. Thanks, Michael, so much for joining us this week. Tell us where you are right now. I'm at home. I'm at my apartment in Sunnyside, Queens, Mm -hmm. and uh, I've been here for, I guess, about a week now. I mean, maybe six days. And, um, you know, I've I've hit the grocery store, but I've been, you know, taking the the stay-at-home uh, mandate pretty seriously, and it's uh, it's it's nice to get a little fresh air. And I've I've taken some walks, but um, but it's a it's quite a it's been quite a series of events. Have so, you noticed it's hard to quarantine in a place like New York City right now? I, I I've never been in my apartment as much as I have in the last <laughs> week. I mean, you know, I I tend to kind of live at my office, and uh, yeah, it's 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 hard, and I'm trying. You know, I think I'm trying to find the brights the bright spots. I mean, in terms of, I've never had this much food in my apartment. I've never mm. used my stove in ten years that I've lived here. You know, I mean, I've, <laughs> I've, uh, you know, I'm I'm finding it's a nice opportunity to, um, just kind of revisit my home life and figure out what 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 that is. And in some ways, I hope to upgrade it. You know, during during these days. Mm-hmm. So I guess before we talk a little bit more about COVID-19 and all of that, I would love to just start off by asking you where you grew up and also how you got involved in theater. Sure, sure. Uh, I grew up in Cleveland, Ohio. I, um, my mother was an actress and performer and director. And so I was very involved 
early on, I would tag along with her to, you know, rehearsals and shows she was in, she was directing and, and I kind of let it be her thing. But I think by the time I was eight, I got the bug Hmm. pretty instantly. And my first show was Oliver. And, um, (laughs) but I didn't, I, I, I think by the time I was maybe 10, I stopped doing theater because that was her thing. And I, started doing more uh, instrumental music. I was a, a redoubler. I played the clarinet and sax and, um, and sports. And, you know, that was kind of more where my focus was. And then by high school, I started, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't resist. I just, I, I was too, I, I was listening to cast recordings and wanting to do the school show. So I, I did, uh, I did all the musicals at school and uh, then went to school for musical theater. I went to, to Otterbein in Columbus, Ohio and got uh, my BFA in musical theater there. So what was the transition like going from Otterbein, going from Ohio to New York City? Sure. Well, my parents are New Yorkers. So they mm-hmm. were, uh, they were married here and they, um, my dad grew up upstate and my mom grew up in New Jersey. Uh, so I was, I was kind of, I think, raised a bit with the sensibility, even though mm-hmm. I was living in, in, you know, Cleveland. Um, but I, um, I w- always knew that I would live in New York. It was just kind of a given to me. And I made, so I made that move during my senior year at Otterbein. The way that that musical oh. theater program is set up, they actually, require all of the BFAs. And I mean, they had done this for 20 years before I got there and they're still doing this now, almost 20 years later. All the BFAs have to do a three or four month internship on the business side of the business. So the bulk of people work at a casting office, some work at an agency or a press office, things like that. But when I was there, it was almost exclusively, you know, a casting internship. So I did mine at Johnson Lift Casting, which back in the 80s and 90s was kind of the big powerhouse office here in, in New York City, um, casting, you know, all those flop musicals like Les Mis and The Producers and Phantom and Cats <laughs> and, you know, all those shows. So, um, so when I was there at the very, I was there in 2002, 2003, which was the very tail end of uh, that office being open, they had uh, mm-hmm. decided to close the office after uh, 27 incredible years. So um, I, I went in thinking this was something that I was curious about. It was a graduation requirement, um, but that I would ultimately um, still be pursuing performing. By the time I finished that internship, I was, I had a whole new kind of worldview and I was, Hmm. my eyes were open to other options. And I would, I don't, I wouldn't say that I had decided at that point that I wanted to pursue casting, but I was, I was definitely intrigued by the idea and I was comforted in knowing that there were other options beyond performing uh, for me to pursue. When did you officially become your own casting director? Like, were you, what, what year was that? It's kind of complicated. I mean, the answer varies, to be honest, because, <laughs> because I, I went on, I did my internship winter 2002, 2003, okay. the three or four month internship. And then I did my senior showcase here in New York. Mm-hmm. Um, then I did summer stock. I had a summer stock job in, in Western Pennsylvania. Hmm. And then I moved back August of 03. And in September of 03, I cast my very first project on my own. It was wow. a, a writer friend had a musical. He was getting a reading done at the, at the York Theater, um, where I've worked, you know, many dozens of times since. And mm-hmm. um, he, he knew that I knew some agents and had some, you know, 
knew a lot of performers. Mm-hmm. He asked me if I would cast it, and and I said sure. And um, so that was the very first thing I ever did, kind of as a self-appointed casting director. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, it was fake it till you make it. But I, well, at uh, that point, were you working out of like your your apartment in I, New York? Did you have a course, Did you have an office of yet at this point? No, of course, no. I had a mailboxes, etc. That was the uh, <laughs> there was a mailboxes, etc. On Forty Seventh and Ninth, six seven six A Ninth Avenue, and it was wow. kind of a famous. It was a famous address because a lot of people in the Broadway community, kind of, that was where they got their mail. So, you you know, you would go and you'd pay something like, I don't know, a hundred dollars a year or something. And they'd Mm -hmm. they'd keep all your mail for you, but you had a Manhattan address. And you have to realize 2003, we were still getting hard copy submissions. So they hated me because I would have (laughs) bins of mail and I would go pick it up and I would take it home to, to where I was, I was living in Queens then, then I moved to Midtown, but um, I, uh, I you know it was it was a whole different industry in so many ways but I um I I I my first office space was I, was 2 years later it was 2005 so I had cast by 2005 I had cast a, I had two shows running off Broadway that mm-hmm. year and I um 2004 for for example was the the first year of the New York Musical Festival which I'd been involved with uh, from from its founding and so I had probably done about a half dozen or a dozen projects, readings, things here and there mm-hmm. uh, in the course of those two years between 03 and 05. And 2005, I, I sublet an office, uh, a desk in an office from another casting director, and hmm. it became kind of a, a um, you know, continuing the fake it till you make it, but yeah. now with, now with real estate, you know, now with yeah. so, um, but it was because it was still very much a time where to be taken seriously, you needed that physical presence because yeah. so much was still happening and kind of, you know, these days, so many people work off their phones and uh, mm-hmm. I, I imagine I'll be one of them one of these days, you know, depending on where this pandemic leads us, you know, but, but that it's, it's, it's nice to not have overhead, you know, so, so I've been, um, I've been, I've kept an office space for, I guess, 15 years now since 05. So, um, so I guess somewhere around 0405 is when I kind of really started full, full speed ahead. When it comes to submissions from actors who don't have agents, because often, obviously you are posting on, is it Breakdown Express um, for, for agents to submit their, their right. clients. But when it comes to actors who don't have agents, do you have a preference for snail mail still? Or are you more of an email? Or do you just like, do you primarily post on Actors Access? What what are you, what are your preferences? Well, so for, for every project we do, I mean, I think it's important to kind of just dissect. And I know that you've done, you know, uh, some great things for your, your readers and listeners, you know, about kind of how the different processes work. Um, I think it's important to inspect it from from our side, which is that for any equity contract, for virtually anything that's under a sort of equity contract, there are requirements in terms of what has to happen and the order in which it has to happen. Right. So uh, for instance, right now I'm gearing up to cast a a regional theater season, um, which typically we would be filing our EPA notices. That's the first step is <laughs> mm-hmm. to to file those. And, and we're working with equity. We're finding solutions. Sure. I mean, there have been a lot of email chains in recent days, but, yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, you know, but, but so I, the, the very first thing I have to do before anything else 
is to file the EPA notice. So I think it's important for a performer at any level to realize that if you're seeing a seasonal audition, you know, a seasonal EPA notice, I might be cast, everybody's going to have a different approach to that, mm. but I might be listing a, a, a play that opens in a year and a half from now because mm -hmm. we're doing the whole season up front. I'm not necessarily jumping right into immediate callbacks for that play. Right. That play may, may not even have a director yet. We're, we're doing the initial round of, uh, you know, co contractually mandated casting, and we're we're pulling people. We're we're you know we're saving people to call back at a later date. Mm -hmm. But but I'm not. It's not all jumping in. So sometimes I'll hear from people two or three times, like I yeah I know the EPA's in two days. I need to get an appointment. You know, I mean, and, and it's just like <laughs> I I haven't read it yet. So give me you know. <laughs> this show's not happening for a year. Know. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, so the very first step is the, is the EPA process. And uh -huh. I, you know, which I'm a big, I'm very pro-union. I'm a big supporter of, of, um, you, you know, I think that the required EPAs and ECCs, you know, have certainly helped me meet hundreds of terrific people over the years. Totally. Um, with, uh, with any sort of, um, so that that comes first. Now every contract has different stipulations. So okay. some contracts, like Lort, Lort Theaters, you know, Lort Lort stands for the League of Regional Theaters, and many of the top regional theaters are on a Lort contract. They have different provisions in terms of what's required in terms of self-submitted equity actors for a certain number of mm. roles, depending on you know. So there are a lot of little wrinkles in terms of why you see what you see when right so so the very first thing that happens is the you know the equity notice now for anything where i'm actually looking and i say that with with great caution because i'm almost always actually looking but <laughs> you know for anything where we're we're about to have appointments and callbacks i will then um my next step is to release a breakdown to agents and managers. And in almost all cases uh, in our office, I also release it to Actors Access. So Actors Access is, you know, part of breakdown services. It gives us the choice as casting people. Do we want this to just go to agents and managers or do we want it to go to agents, managers and unrepresented actors? Now I made the decision many years ago. I, I, it's rare that I have a reason not to release something to actors access. Hmm. If I were looking for, you know, a star for a TV show or a, a Broadway show, I probably wouldn't put it on actors access. Right. But if I'm looking, you know, for a lot of the projects that I do, I need a certain number of equity and a certain number of non-equity things like that. It only helps me to, to cast the widest net. So, um, so almost all of our projects, I would say 95% of them go on, Breakdown services to act to agents and managers, and concurrently they're they're put on actors access for uh, for actors directly. So that's usually a pretty good estimate of once I release that breakdown, mm -hmm. it probably means that appointment auditions are going to happen in the next week or two, because it's rare that I'm working too far in advance because you'll just lose everybody. You you know right. casting theater that's it's so cyclical, but. I usually put breakdowns out maybe two weeks, three weeks before the actual auditions are going to take place. And um, at that point, it's, 
it's all hands on deck. I'm looking at people that I called, the EPAs have already taken place usually, or I mean, they have to before we have appointment auditions. Um, I'm looking at people that have uh, self-submitted. I, I mean, we keep uh, an open submissions policy so that at any given time, if you go on our website, just on uh, michaelcasera.net, there's submissions at michaelcasera.net and it, you know, it comes straight to, straight to me and, um, we look through those and we find people to call in through that. Um, I look at people who've submitted on Actors Access. I look at the agent and manager submissions, but, and I, and I call back people from the, the EPAs and the mm -hmm. ECCs and the open calls. So, and, and that's also a place where I'm bringing in people who didn't submit themselves for the project, didn't know right. the project was happening, but someone that I saw in a school showcase or I saw their work on YouTube or, you know, someone recommended them. Um, and then, of course, for any project, you have a great number of creative team requests, people mm -hmm. the directors worked with, people the theater has hired before. Um, so a lot of the time I might, you know, if I'm seeing 50 or 60 people in a day of appointments, I might have 42 requests to work in. <laughs> and then I only get about 18 slots to bring in the people that, you know, I mean, so it, it, it's, I mean, I'm, I'm exaggerating, but only a little. <laughs> <laughs> you're not though. So you're you're the type of casting director that's really pulling, truly pulling from everything, not just self submissions, not just agent like agent submissions oh, sure. or actors access or snail mail. You're yeah, looking I at it all. I'm looking at it all, and and I mean I'll be very honest that um, I, I think that you know it's a very saturated market. I, mean, <laughs> I think I think everyone realizes that, and and you know we acknowledge you know, certainly the, just the, the kind of strength and perseverance that anyone pursuing this has, because you get a lot more no's than anything else. Um, I know that from the front lines, because if I'm bring if I'm bringing in 60 people in a day, that's maybe seven or eight people for each role. You know, it's yeah. not, it's not like I'm seeing dozens and dozens of people because time is money. Mm -hmm. So when I, put out a breakdown to agents and managers for most of our theaters, you know, we have a lot of great jobs that people want. And, uh, you know, so you get a competitive, um, even on some of the lower paying things and some of the very low paying things, um, they're still competitive. There's still, you know, there's still a lot of people who would like to, to have those jobs. So if I'm bringing in eight people, um, it's very easy to fill those eight slots with, people with major credits and major momentum and a lot going on. And uh, I, so I think it's our obligation in many ways to, of course, you know, kind of uh, make sure that we are casting the role, make sure that we mm -hmm. have those slam dunk options, but that we're also creating opportunities for people that no one has ever seen before, people who just did their senior showcase, people who were, you know, who impressed us at an EPA. I mean, all of that, you know, we try to balance that and it's imperfect. I mean, um, one thing that I, I tell people a lot of the time when I teach and when I, you know, have conversations with performers is that you have to realize that for every for every role that I cast, <laughs> I'm laughing to, because you know. I know exactly what you're going to say, and I didn't realize this until I were until I worked with you until I I was your, in your, your office and realized yeah yeah and I I didn't realize how many submissions you're truly getting 
Well, but it's just because, and just because someone, I mean, I I, I guess the crux of it is just because someone doesn't get an appointment doesn't mean they're not completely qualified, right? So it's not like the eight people who get the appointments are the only ones who are qualified. I'm usually ticking off 150 people that I'd like to see. And we start with the eight that make the most sense. And then we squeeze, we get three cancellations. We squeeze in three more and then somebody cancels the night before and somebody else is getting a call. Right. Mm -hmm. So, so, you know, I have to keep the days full. I mean, it's, it's a very kind of precarious juggle, but, um, but I enjoy it. And I, uh, I like to try to keep it keep it balanced. And I'm always looking for opportunities to, to work people in and, 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 and do that. But, but, it, but it, it's heartbreaking sometimes just the number of people where you're like, Oh my God, I mean, it would be mm-hmm. so great to, to be able to see you. And I know that it's, it, it can have an, a, a bit of a psycho emotional effect on, you know, why am I not getting an appointment? And it's, yeah. it's just numbers. It's math. It's, it's not it's, personal uh, at all. It's know. simply numbers. Yeah. yeah. Does social media ever come into play? And I'll keep this broad. I mean, you can elaborate sure. more on this, but does it ever come into play when, when it comes to casting? Well, I mean, I think it can. Um, I think that I, I'm grateful that, you know, the idea of this person has 3 million followers, let's make <laughs> make them Roxy Hart. You know, like I'm I'm yeah. grateful that that's not really... Um, I don't think that's really permeated the theater industry as much as it has perhaps other industries, you yeah. know, television and things like that. Um, I mean, there's no question about it. Uh, someone having a strong social media presence like that can do a lot for a project and totally. that project's worth. And I mean, I've, we cast a film a few years ago where, um, uh, you know, it's end up being, you know, it's a cast of people, you know, it's Tessa Thompson and, you know, Mm. all all these people who've gone on to kind of amazing things. But, but the lead in that was a young man, uh, Jake T. Austin, who I had never heard of. I mean, I was, you know, he was a, what was he? He was a Disney Channel guy, Uh right? You know, but, but it was one of those things that I remember when we were casting this film, it came down to him and another young man and they were both fantastic. And one of us just kind of looked at someone else and we're like, that that kid that just came in, he's got five million followers on wow, Instagram. Wow! Yeah, yeah. I yeah. mean, I don't remember exactly how many, but yeah. you know, but you know, all of it was to say that you know you start to look at that on an indie film, and it's like, boy, that could leverage some, you know, that could sure. leverage some 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 streams and downloads. And um, so I, you know, I use that example kind of. Um, he was a terrific actor in the first place, mm-hmm. which was why we were kind of wrestling. But but when it comes down to option A and option B, sometimes it can factor in. Um, I think it can also factor in on a uh, on a much much smaller, you know, perhaps more intimate level, which is mm-hmm. that you know the New York theater community is very small, and it's it's even though there are you know thousands of us, you know, mm-hmm. but but I mean. Um, in terms of people working consistently and, you know, being part of a scene, I mean, it's tighter knit than I think sometimes it can, it can feel like mm. from beyond. And I think that social media is something that people use to simply to keep in touch and to, you know, mm-hmm. you go and do a show somewhere and you, you gain a family for those three months. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I see it happen time and time again, um, never more so than the last few weeks where 
someone posts an opportunity, someone tags someone else to let them know about that opportunity. Mm -hmm. I mean, we really encourage that. I think it's a way to, to look after each other. And I think it's also just a way to, I mean, I know a lot of directors who, when they send me their request list, they're looking through their, their Facebook friends or their right. Instagram friends. You know, they're, they're looking through, who do I know? Who have I worked with? Who do right. I like? And it's a way to remember people that maybe you haven't thought of in a few years or mm -hmm. things like that. So I think that, and I mean, and then I think a third way in which it, it can work is there are lots of people who are, um, you know, they gain notoriety through their work on Instagram or Twitter mm -hmm. or YouTube or um, any, any number of things, podcasts, just like this one, you know, I mean, I think that there's, um, it's a way to make oneself known and it's mm -hmm. a way to share the things you hope to share with the world. And um, I think that I've seen it happen where there are performers I've, I've never heard of and mm -hmm. they, uh, they make a, a video or something that goes viral and then all of a sudden um, we know who they are. I mean, I re yeah. I'm, I've been doing this long enough that I remember, <laughs> um, you know, I remember the days when we all thought that Miranda Sings was real, you know, I mean, <laughs> yeah. when, it first, when it first started, we, we all thought it was, it was real. That was kind of the joke of it, or at least I did. Maybe I wasn't in on it, but, um, <laughs> but I know there were a few weeks where we were just like, who is this? You know, but, but I mean, you're talking a long time ago now, but you know, that, that, um, that things like that, and you know, that so much of that people have leveraged their original yeah. content to create industries so um so i i mean in terms of social media i personally i use it as broadcast i use it to get the word out about things sure. and then i use it to you know selectively but you know kind of also publicly i use it to keep tabs on folks to you know if i yeah. if i see someone's work and i like it i'll follow them on twitter or instagram you know things yeah. like that to to just i mean if i'm watching tv and there's an actor i've never seen before I'll I'll Google that person and I'll I'll say oh you know I like his work he's shooting a show that shoots in New York it must mean he's here now and then yeah you know, right I mean, things things like that so I mean it's just a way for me to expand my uh, frame of reference um, you know when I see a Broadway show and there's there are people that I mean it's it's rare but you know there's always mm. new people and yeah. so when I see people I don't know it's a way for me to kind of keep tabs on folks I mean definitely. None of us need the hard sell. I don't, I think that's the a standard rule that, you know, it's like, I don't need someone to, you, you know, I mean, every now and then I'll look at my Instagram messages and it's <laughs> a little terrifying I mean, because some of them are, you know, it's very nice. I talk to yeah, you know people yeah, yeah. I know, but then some of it, it's just like, uh, it's like someone has sent me 40 links to their different reels and I'm just like, mm. I, you know, not the place. Well, I was going to ask so, you, like, is there ever a, a have you ever come across a time where social media has negatively impacted and actors chances of being cast or oh sure you know sure i mean i i i know one example which i'll i'll um this was not something that happened to me this was to mm -hmm. another casting director but um this person and i were on a panel together and he mm -hmm. mentioned it that there was there was um there was a theater that was producing a, a classic musical mm -hmm. and um a young man came in for the lead and was great and the team loved him and nobody knew anyone on his resume. They didn't know anything about him. Mm. So at the end of the day, uh, they started poking around. They, they did some Googling, you know, four seconds later, they were on his Facebook page. Right. And his public status in that moment was 
Uh, well, no, I mean, it's, it's a cautionary tale, but you know, his public yeah. status was just had an audition. The artistic director couldn't be bothered to look up from his phone the whole time. Um, why bother? Dot, dot, dot. You know, something, something like that. Well, the artistic director's father had died that morning and oh he was booking flights and doing what he needed to do in that moment and trying to half be there and half deal with what he needed. Yeah. But it became a pretty instant, you know, this isn't the kind of energy we want to, you know, we want to yeah. bring in. So, so, you know, I get it. No one wants to see someone looking at a phone in an audition, but it's not about you in those moments that it's mm -hmm. that, that, you know, you're there to do your work. Hopefully it will be respected and appreciated, but that there's always maybe something else going on just on a daily basis. I try to be as attentive as I can be, but we're juggling more things than any generation prior have had to juggle. Mm -hmm. Communication is just so instant. I, I mean, even as I've sat here on this on this call with you, I've <laughs> sent I've sent three texts to a director that I'm working with. You know that, in, and we don't know if any of these shows are happening. But yeah. you know, this continues. So so I mean, all of that is to say, I I can't think of a reason personally, yeah, for anyone to be negative on social media. I think you can fight battles. I think you can pick causes i think you sure. can make statements but um you know you know and perhaps some popular ones perhaps ones you know about things that that matter to you no one is no one's advocating censorship no one's advocating kind of just falling in line i mean it's it's not that at all particularly these days where there there's so much to to speak about i mean for example you know i have a lot of opinions about the the musical theater i you know i don't see nearly as many shows as i once did but i um I go to a lot of things and yeah. sometimes I don't love what I see and yeah. I have thoughts about that, but I'm never going to publish those. That's not my, <laughs> that's not my place. And it's, and it's, it's not going to help anybody. It's only going to make people feel badly. And it's, Again, and it's I'm only, laughing you know, because I, I've seen, yeah. I've seen these posts. Like I've seen posts oh, from sure. other yeah. actors and people yeah. in the business who do this and it is very cringy because you yeah, just never know who's going to see it. You know, and and so it's not, I mean, I don't actually advocate an actor locking down their social media. Yeah. I, I think it's, I think it's good to share and it's a totally. way to share who you are and what you believe in. And, and it's why my stuff is open, you know, um, generally speaking, you know, but, but I don't, um, I don't know. I don't have a, I don't have a, I don't have a Finsta. Don't, don't worry. You know, but like the kids are calling it, you know, but, um. But I, uh, I do think, I mean, listen, my office, we were one of the first, I mean, we were kind of the first to really embrace social media as a yeah. way of getting the word out. I mean, um, you know, we, we used it when I think other offices were reluctant and um, I've benefited greatly from that. I mean, you know, years ago, we had a, a show that we cast for a number of years uh, that was originally called Fat Camp and then mm. it became uh, gigantic. It was at mm -hmm. the, the Vineyard Theater off Broadway. And uh, it was a great musical that just kind of uh, hit a bunch of bumps in the road along the way. But it was, it was a terrific musical, but it was about kids at a weight loss camp mm -hmm. and they needed to be triple threats, real triple threats who, who happened to be you know, people who would be at a weight loss camp. And, mm -hmm. you know, in the, you know, five or so years, six years that I, I worked on different incarnations of that show, a lot of our best people came out of social media initiatives. I mm -hmm. mean, came out of getting the word out because I knew that I could see the people who fit the bill in the tri-state area. That was an afternoon. That wasn't days and days. That was, you know, a few hours of the right people. Mm -hmm. But I wanted to cast a much wider net. So, 
we had, I mean, I had people from Texas, people from California. Wow. I mean, and you look at the people who, you know, did the different incarnations of that. I mean, for many of them, it was a first or second job, you know, people like yeah. Bonnie Milligan and, you know, yeah. um, Ryan Redmond and, oh my gosh. Uh, you know, uh, Taylor Louderman did one of the, did the final oh. production, you know, I mean, the, um, uh, Mimi Scardula, who's so wonderful and doing mm. all these things, Larry Owens, mm. um, you know, I mean, uh, so many, so many folks who have gone on to really exciting things mm. and not every single one of them, a lot of them had already kind of established themselves in some, in some way or another, but, but many of them, it was their first job. And many of those people got it because, because of, of social media that started through social media, yeah. you know, that's how they, we got the word out. So, yeah. so I think it, I think it does more, more more good than harm, though I certainly think it can do harm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, switching gears a little bit to mm -hmm. definitely address what's going on right now. From a casting director's perspective, what are the biggest changes that you're noticing in the theater industry because of the coronavirus? I think that we're, I think that the big, the biggest change for me <laughs> was that we, you know, the industry never stops. The mm -hmm. only thing that we have that's close to the industry stopping is the week between Christmas and New Year's every year where right. everything just kind of pauses, but it doesn't stop. I mean, if there's an emergency, I'm still on the phone. Mm -hmm. um, this is very different than that. You know, as people have said, this is not a snow day. This is, you know, this is a pandemic. And um, what we're dealing with right now, I mean, this is probably the seventh Zoom call I've been on in 48 <laughs> hours, um, you know, in terms of these virtual meetings. I mean, mm. I've had a Zoom account for three years probably, and I've used it more in the last week than I did in all those years. And I used it quite a bit, right? So I think we're embracing new types of technology as a way of, coping and as a way of keeping things moving forward. Um, I was in my busiest time of year, March and April are always our busiest yeah. months. And I had, I mean, I was, we're, we're casting the world premiere of uh, Mr. Holland's Opus, the, yeah. the musical based on the, on the wonderful movie. And um, I was in auditions for that. I was in auditions mm -hmm. for that on uh, Wednesday, the 11th. And we had callbacks scheduled for that Friday. And the day before, it, the writing was on the wall. We knew that we the right the 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 honorable thing to do, even if it cost us money, even if it was that you know was right. to to cancel it and not potentially risk anything further. Um, and we did. And I've moved that process completely online. And mm -hmm. in some ways, it's lending dignity to a casting process in ways that uh, that typically wouldn't be. Uh, in place. I mean, I'll give you a couple examples. One, um, I, I have a, a wonderful, I mean, B.D. Wong, who's directing, has sent the most detailed and interesting notes mm. to specific actors based on their taped auditions. Please, you know, please retape it after right. you've gotten a chance to let this sink in. And, you know, not everyone is a in-the-moment able to make the adjustment kind of person. So we're able to see what people can do with the gift of time and the gift of, hmm. you know, a little more depth. So that's revolutionary. Um, but I also have, you know, I have, um, a, a, you know, a choreographer who's in London at the moment who 
recorded the combination. So I have people on their roofs and people out there, you know, in their studio <laughs> apartments. And I don't care if I see your, you know, your, your, your shower, you know, it's yeah, like wherever you can it. tape it, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, so, I mean, so now it's also giving us an interesting opportunity on a different project. Um, uh, I had, I was supposed to be in auditions the following week mm-hmm. and I was, you know, we made the decision, absolutely nothing in person. So we're casting the whole show off of tapes. We don't know when it's going to start. We don't know if it's going to start. We know that if this theater survives, and we hope that it does, we know that it will hopefully, it'll need programming to, you know, stay alive to get revenue back because Mm -hmm. that's what we're all is killing everyone is this revenue shortage, right? And so, um, so we want them to be able to produce and stay on track and and get butts in the seats. Um, but so for that show, I I personally have always felt guilty for anything involving self tapes. I don't want to request request hundreds of tapes. I don't want to request more than I can possibly consider. And I don't want to request tapes for sport. If I'm going to ask someone to prepare material, I'm going to sit there. I'm going to watch it. I'm going to breathe it in. I'm going to see where it fits. I don't. I want my team to do the same. I don't want it to be you know, just because we can, because honestly, for any project, I get thousands of submissions. I could just press a button and request thousands of tapes. Mm -hmm. But um, so I'm still assessing people the same way I always do. But the difference is what we spoke about earlier, Maggie, Mm -hmm. which is that of these, you know, if I have a hundred qualified people, now I actually have the opportunity to request a hundred tapes and maybe only 80 of them tape, but that's still 80 people. And then, you know, it makes our decision process a lot harder. Mm -hmm. I mean, (laughs) but, but that's my problem, not yours. And Uh also, you know, in an odd way, it also protects the theater because it guarantees that we have options and it guarantees that we, you know, because we get it, you get a better job. You're going to take the better job. I mean, that, that happens all the time, but now I have, a concrete document that I can refer to that shows me where here's our number one, here's our number two, here's our number three. And three months after the fact, when we're trying to remember, I can go back and look at it. So, yeah, uh, so you know, I, I mean, I'm, I'm trying very hard. Um, it's okay to, you know, it's okay to have sadness. It's okay to have kind of epic sadness right now. There's a lot of uncertainty and there's mm-hmm. a lot of, uh, just terrifying things happening. I mean, we're, we're losing people every day and uh, particularly in this community. I mean, um, and, uh, and that's, that's not to be um, underestimated in any, in any capacity, but we also have to find strength to persevere. And I think that one way to do that is to do, you know, in some ways I feel like when I'm requesting a tape, it's giving me an opportunity to add a little bit of normalcy to someone's life yeah. by giving them something to focus on and and to work on. And, you know, I don't know when I'm going to be able to call them and say, you got the job because, yeah. you know, I mean, when is the job going to happen? Exactly. We don't know we might not know. You know, now we're at the point where we're starting to look towards the things that were supposed to be happening next month and the following. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, you know, I, I had a conference call, a video call um, earlier today uh, with NAMP, the National Alliance for Musical yeah. Theater, um, which is, you know, which is a, we're their resident casting office. They're a membership organization comprised of all of the top 
regional theaters in the country and commercial producers who produce musicals. So all of the usual suspects you could think of are mm -hmm. our members and on the board and, you know, part of that organization. And theaters are, I mean, to watch these artistic directors in, in their Brady Bunch windows, you know, um, tr brainstorming ways that they can help their audience, brainstorming ways they can help their actors who are stranded in mm -hmm. actor housing, brainstorming ways they can um, thank their donors and, and not as an appeal, but as a thank you, because without this, we wouldn't be here. Brainstorming ways they can get people back to work, their front of house and their, you know, their development yeah. offices and their music staff and all the different people who are impacted. Um, I, I take a lot of heart in that I, I find you know I think that we we as a community we're empathetic by nature and I think that you know we're we're just looking for these solutions so so I'm I'm um, I'm cautiously optimistic that we'll bounce mm. back and uh, I know that we will and it's just going to be you know we're going to be worse for wear but we're going to hopefully have gained some things uh, absolutely as well. do you have any advice for young performers right now who want to pursue this as a career? acting or casting directors just generally the theater sure. industry well i think you know there's there's always a place at the table you have to figure out which table and you oh, have yes. to figure and you have to figure out and I, I didn't somebody made that up before i did i'm sure but you know <laughs> that, you know but that um that you know you I mean, I think you're a great example of this. I mean, I met you when you were a student at, and, mm -hmm. and uh, you know, at Texas State and I, um, and you interned with us in the, in the summer and got to see how casting, you know, works from, from that vantage point. And I, I think you, I think you learned a lot having that experience, I would say, you know, just in terms of watching auditions and learning. Now, not everyone's going to have that kind of opportunity, but there are a lot of ways you can say yes to, opportunities and find ways in and so exactly. if that means being a reader for auditions or getting coffee for a creative team or mm -hmm. or you know or writing a play and putting your friends in it and doing it on zoom during yeah. quarantine you know things things like that <laughs> that you know i mean it's a it's it's not going to come to you it's not going to yes. seek you out and and that you know i think particularly for you know for the younger demographic too i don't know if this is comforting or not but this is the most saturated market we've ever had. We've never had this many people pursuing uh, this career field in this city. I, I I say that without the data in front of me, but I'm positive. Why do you think that is? I think it's a couple things. I yeah. think it's the the advent of the internet. Yes. All of a sudden, people worldwide know what musical theater is in a way that, for me, growing up in the 80s and 90s, you know, it was something you, you would watch the Tony Awards on CBS. And that was, you know, it was like you would see the, you know, you would see the, the, the different things, but there wasn't a lot of prolonged exposure. Now someone in China or Nebraska can see a 54 below show live right. streamed every night and can, and, and create, you know, it creates these, these fan idolatry things that, you know, that are happening. And, and how great for our industry and how great for our future. Um, but I think a lot more people are enthused about it because of access. So that's one thing. Um, two, I think that if, if I mean, this data does exist, <laughs> just 
track the number of musical theater programs that have been initiated in the last 25 years. When I did my senior showcase, uh, we were one of maybe 15 schools, tops, definitely not more than that, maybe 15. And we came to New York, Otterbein did it with Northwestern and Baldwin Wallace and Mm. CCM Drama. The four schools did it together. And um, it was an event. The industry attended and ate cheese and we you know we did all our things <laughs> but i mean it was an event because there there wasn't a lot of competition it was oh let me go see these young people and uh bring them in for things right so um the next year i started working in casting and started going to all of them and so maybe the next year there were 20 mm. and then 40 and then 50 and i would say we have no fewer than 100 presentations in new york every year now Absolutely. and I'm still only able to go to maybe 20 tops, you know, I'm sending yeah. people from the team and, you know, and we're covering as much as we can. But, um, but I think what's happened is it's a trickle down where you have 16 and 17 year olds and their parents asking department chairs, oh, well, do you do, do, you do a showcase in New York? This other school does. So <laughs> then they feel the need to jump into the ring. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, I'm getting 10 more showcases that I don't, you know, I'm not able to go to. <laughs> right. um, but there are also a lot of really good programs. There's a lot of, there are more good people coming out every year, you know, from, I, I think that's also fair. But so all, all of it's to say that in in the years that I've been doing this, I've seen that, you know, that that graph just kind of go astronomical. And for any job I have, regardless of the salary, I have significant interest from a lot of different communities. So um, so I think that it's all the more reason that people need to fight for their own relevance and mm. they need to they need to invest in the long game and invest in the relationships with not just, you know, casting offices, but people on the creative team, directors and writers and choreographers and today's interns who are going to be calling the shots tomorrow, you know, Mm. I mean, to, to, to kind of realize the value of everyone on a team. So I think that, um, I think there's a lot of really um, cool opportunities, particularly right now, there's so much self-producing and self-creating and people, I mean, I've watched so many things just on my Instagram, I'm sitting there and it's like, (laughs) it used to be, you know, the little circles at the top, maybe one person was live. Now it's just like, (laughs) Everyone. 40 people are alive at every given time, you know, and, and I'm a bit of a fuddy-duddy. So I'm just sitting there being like, what, what am I, you know, like, which room am I going to walk into now? You know, and it's like, it's a yoga class or it's a uh-huh. bar class or it's, or someone's playing guitar, you know, and it's, it's, you know, so it's like, I admire all of that. And, and I think that we're, we're keeping each other's spirits up and, uh, and we have to, and we have to continue to, uh, to create, but that, you know, they, there's all this talk of how some of the greatest, work happened during similar, you know, pandemic type mm-hmm. times. And, uh, and, you know, I don't think we should feel obligated to that. I think if you need to, you know, sleep in and, and watch, <laughs> you know, Comedy Central, that's okay too. Um, but when you're ready, I mean, if you have your health, now is the time to, to make the most of it. And, and so, so to answer your question, I'm, I'm a little long-winded today, but to, uh, to today, he says, today. You know, but to, to, to answer your question, I think that, um, I think anything um, a, a performer can do to make themselves relevant, to invest in the long game, and to invest in the relationships within the community, um, 
it, it's not going to happen overnight. This is, you know, for in most cases, it, it takes time, but cherish those little glimmers of success when you have them and persevere through the hard times and uh, just keep looking forward and know that even on my side of the industry, I mean, I have ups and downs every day. You know, mm. I have really, really great moments and really hard moments. And that's, mm. that's just part of surviving in New York or in a market like New York. So, um, so I'll end my long windedness <laughs> on that. But, yeah. but well said, well said. I think that's Thanks, really Maggie. important for especially young artists to know. So thank you for sharing that. And of course. Uh, Thanks for coming on today. Absolutely. We'll see you hopefully in, in human form one of these, oh, one of these months. Oh, you know? I hope so. so. Sometime but soon. For, for now, it's nice to not just be looking at the walls in my apartment. And you know, <laughs> my DVR has never been emptier. It's like all the things, have, <laughs> everything has been watched. I'm like, what can I start DVRing now? So, Amen. So, right. <laughs> Thanks Thank so much, Michael. Take care. Okay, bye-bye. If you've enjoyed today's episode and you found it helpful, I would love it if you could screenshot it, tag at Actor Aesthetic, and share it to your Instagram stories so that I can see who is following along with me there. If you haven't already, please be sure to rate and review the podcast on iTunes, and also hit that subscribe button so that you can join me every single week for a brand new episode of the Actor Aesthetic podcast. Until then, this is Maggie Vera signing off. It takes a village. I'll see you next week.